I'm Josh Israel, along with Brian Chikminski. Welcome to the ACO Show. This is the first in a series we're doing on quality measurement in healthcare. Yeah, and we were joined by two experts from the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services, Dr. Doug Jacobs, the Chief Transformation Officer in the Center for Medicare at CMS, and Dr. Michelle Schreiber, the Deputy Director for the Center for Clinical Standards and Quality at CMS, and the Director of the Quality Measurement and Value-Based Incentives Group at CMS. Those are quite some titles, so we were very thrilled to be able to take a few minutes of their time to talk quality measurement. And Josh, I have to say that you are one of Validate's resident experts in quality standards and quality measurement. And I felt very much out of my league in this conversation. So I appreciated your guidance on, on many facets of it. Well, you covered it well. I was glad to have them on. They recently published a paper along with a few other co-authors in the New England Journal of Medicine called Aligning Quality Measures Across CMS, the Universal Foundation in a January issue of the New England Journal of Medicine. And it's really very impressive what CMS is trying to do, that somebody to bring a little order to the chaos that has developed around quality measurements. It was really good to hear both the work that they're doing, their appreciation of getting this right for providers and patients, and really sort of being a grown up in the room to say, the system has gotten out of hand, let's make it work better for everybody. Yeah, and I really appreciated the transparency around some of the decision making, some of the ways that they were looking at what these measurements in this universal foundation are actually going to help them accomplish. All right, let's get to it. We're joined now by Dr. Doug Jacobs and Dr. Michelle Schreiber. Welcome to you both. So I don't want to bury the lead. What we'll start with is the paper that you all recently published in the New England Journal about aligning quality measurements. And for anybody who's wondering why an article on the dry topic of quality measurements would be in the New England Journal of Medicine, I would say that what is in a contract for quality measures probably determines a lot more about what goes on between a doctor and a patient and a patient's clinical care than a lot of things that end up getting published in a a high impact journal like the New England Journal. You know, quality measurement probably determines aspects of care more than a new antibiotic or a, a controlled trial of a surgical procedure. So Dr. Jacobs, uh, Doug, why don't we start with you? Can you describe the the framework, what, what that paper was about? Yeah, absolutely. So the paper is about what we're calling a universal foundation of quality measures and creating alignment across the Center for Medicare and Medicaid Services, or CMS. Uh, in this paper, we talk about the quality measurement movement in general and how over time there, there's been this tension that's created. As we have more and more quality measures, Players are increasingly held responsible for these different aspects of, of quality. Um, and on the one hand, that that's great, and that we're measuring all these, these aspects of quality in our healthcare system. On the other hand, that can be really challenging from a provider's perspective who's trying to really focus their quality improvement efforts to promote the highest quality care possible in our country. And so this idea that we talk about in the paper is this idea about a universal foundation of quality measures that go across uh, different programs in our healthcare system, and and where there's important additional add-ons, for example, like in a hospital, that that's done in an aligned way also. So we think that this idea of the universal foundation can really promote high-quality care, reduce provider burden, and achieve a lot of the other goals that we have as part of our national quality strategy. Yeah, the paper talks about the 20-year quest for better quality measurement and the quality measurement movement. I'd love to hear a little bit about the history of that, what led to this, and how, how this universal foundation is fundamentally different and fundamentally a step forward for the movement. 
So I'll, I'll start in on that if I may, and thank you for having us here today. There, for a number of years, it was not possible to measure a lot of concepts of quality. And about 20 years ago, it became clear that we really weren't as far along in quality as what we wanted, right? The original Institute of Medicine report showing that there are safety issues and quality issues and outlining the domains of quality, right? Safe, timely, effective, efficient, equitable, and patient-centered. And I think that's when the measurement movement really not only started, but started growing. With the Affordable Care Act and the development of a number of CMS quality and value-based incentive programs, either reporting programs or payment programs. And frankly, there's over 20 of them just for Medicare fee-for-service, let alone other programs in CMS. With the growth of those programs came also the growth of a number of quality measures. At this point in time, CMS actively uses about 350 quality measures across all of those programs. Well, if you count in other programs like the CMMI models, that number will increase. If you count in what commercial payers do, for example, around other measures, that number increases. If you look at, you know, for example, registries, there's a number of measures that are there too. So I would say the total population, so to speak, of measures is really pretty large. Within the CMS measures inventory list, which kind of catalogs all measures, including ones that have been retired, we probably have close to 2,000 measures. And this is why providers, we think, get confused and feel like it's burdensome. Across CMS, we don't always have the same ways of choosing measure prioritization or what measures we want to use. And for example, in diabetes, Medicaid, Medicare, the marketplace, use somewhat different measures for diabetes. That leads to confusion. It leads to burden because if you're a system that has to report for all of those different kinds of patients, that's more measures that you have to report. I'm very sensitive to that. I was a chief quality officer for a long time and I had a list of 650 measures on an Excel spreadsheet that our system had to report. And so this concept of the universal foundation and CMS putting a stake in the ground of these are the most important measures and across all programs, we will standardize to it, we think is really an important step forward. Yeah. As people say, if, if everything is a priority, nothing is a priority. And, and we are at this point where what people sometimes refer to as the quality industrial complex, where there have not been actors in the system who are incentivized to have fewer measures. Organizations like the National Quality Assurance, Center for Quality Assurance, or the National Quality Foundation. These are great organizations. They're nonprofits. They mean well, but their business is lots of measures. Insurance providers haven't had a lot of incentive to have fewer because they can grade physicians. The more things you can grade on, the more opportunity you have to to reduce the pay in a contract. So who in the system has incentive to say, this has gotten crazy. One doctor cannot be responsible for, for hundreds of quality measures. So I think you, you actually said it in the stem of the question. A lot of the providers have, have felt like, in particular, the, the number of quality measures has, has gotten a little bit out of control, in particular because any one clinician might interact with 10 different payers, 20 different payers, and, and each one of those payers might be interested in different quality measures. 
And when that happens, it, it's really hard for any one individual clinician to, um, to look at their patient panel and just think critically about how they can uh, have the, the best, provide the best quality care while simultaneously succeeding in these different value-based care arrangements. And, and also, I think that CMS is not, is not a, a bystander here. We are also we, us putting a stake in the ground here, um, developing a universal foundation that uh, I think does help build incentive for the commercial sector to do the same. Because for any individual payer as well, if they have measures that align with the other payers in the system, of which CMS helps to set a lot of those standards for different quality measures, uh, then they collectively we can go further together because that means that providers know what to focus on, plans know what to focus on, and through our policies we can also think of ways that we can improve the outcomes related to these high impact quality measures as well. I agree with your language about the quality measure industrial complex or even the quality industrial complex because I think we would be naive to not understand that aspect of it. There are measure developers and CQA being one of them, but there are frankly many measure developers, many specialty societies who have a vested interest in more measures, many registries who have an interest in more measures. And we we can't ignore that. I think the government actually is a very good place for how we can start setting an example through a universally foundational set of measures that we can hope that all of us can agree on. Uh, The number of stakeholders in this, you know, quality industrial complex is actually vast and it includes all aspects of healthcare. It's one of the key lessons that I learned since I came to CMS four years ago. Again, I had been deeply embedded in quality for most of my career, but the scope of the number of stakeholders who are engaged in this is really every aspect. It's providers and specialty societies and registries and measure stewards and various and different interest groups who may want a medication promoted or a clinical guideline or promoted. There's pharma companies, the commercial plans, policies of any given you know aspect of government, advocacy groups, patient groups, clinical guideline developers. I mean, it really goes on and on to really get to every aspect of healthcare in this country. And coming together to harmonize all of these measures is actually difficult because there are multiple competing agendas at times. And that's why we're really so excited about doing this work. I will say the payers frequently, every time they negotiate a contract with a different provider or a different system, sometimes change the measures based on what the nuances are of what they want to measure or frankly, what the provider wants to ensure that they can do well on. The commercial provider community, though, the commercial payer community has actually been actively engaged with CMS through the Core Quality Measures Collaborative. That's been a collaborative of National Quality Forum, AHIP America's Health Insurance Plans, and CMS to also come together and, and decide on a core set of measures. And our universal foundation actually aligns very nicely with the CQMC work. It's not 100% overlap, but it aligns very well so that hopefully we can move together, both the commercial payers and the government side, to really create standardization of the most impactful measures 
and clarity and harmonization of focus. One thing I have come across is that for some payers, it seems like a quality measure is a statement of values. So I've been on on calls and contract negotiations. I'll give one example where they wanted to put a behavioral health measure in the contract and it was not a good measure. It was not going to be beneficial as far as patient outcomes. It was going to be a lot of work. This was not proven to improve health. And I, I pointed that out and they said, yes, but we think behavioral health is important. And I don't know how it has happened in the system that people think of a quality measure as, as a cost neutral and time neutral activity, that that takes away from something else for very busy physicians. If you add something that adds burden, adds paperwork, and doesn't improve outcomes, we, we shouldn't be making statements of values with somebody else's precious time that can be spent with patients. Do, do either of you have any thoughts on how that came about? It just seems so strange sometimes when, when, you, when you see it in action. I think to be fair, that some people are really just trying to capture what they would say is a holistic and important approach to the care of the patient. And I'll use behavioral health as an example. Almost regardless of the population, whether it's pediatric population, adult population, geriatric population, you know, the, the challenge of mental health, burden of mental health issues is so important to clinical care that I can understand where some people would actually want to include a behavioral health measure in most any population. So I think some of this may come from a desire to really approach care holistically. On the other hand, you know, we can't disagree with you that we shouldn't be measuring something that has no impact to that population, that has no bearing. And that's where we think choosing measures appropriately that are impactful and applicable to that population is obviously very important. I don't know, Doug, if and, you wanted to say anything further. And, and just building off of what Michelle was saying, that's why we were very intentional with how we went about creating this universal foundation and the measures that we chose for it. Um, we were trying to collect measures that were high national impact, and we were trying to reduce provider burden and lead to better health outcomes for our country. We're also trying to select measures that we could stratify on the basis of demographic variables to identify inequities. We were also trying to figure out what would be important measures to prioritize and movement towards digital reporting, which can reduce provider burden in and of itself and improve the, the adequacy of reporting too. And as we went about doing this too, we're trying to find measures that wouldn't have unintended consequences. For example, if we're yeah, I feel like we have been teasing the audience this entire time. We've been talking about the stakeholders involved, the process, some of the different dynamics that are going into consideration for the Universal Foundation. But what are the core set? What is the key measures that were decided on in the Universal Foundation? I know they were divided into adult and pediatric, and there was a difference between the domains and the measures themselves. Doug, I don't know if you could maybe just walk us through a little bit of the different measures that were actually chosen for this set and maybe some thought into the considerations that went behind some of them? Yeah, sure. I, absolutely. So I'll start with the Adult Universal Foundation. And you're absolutely right. Each one of these measures corresponds to different meaningful measure domain. And so the first measures are in the wellness and prevention category. We're starting with colorectal cancer screening, breast cancer screening. Obviously, colorectal cancer and breast cancer are two very prevalent cancers across the United States responsible for a huge amount of morbidity and mortality. And so by screening and better detection, um, it's it's really proven over time to improve outcomes in these disease processes. So 
those are the two measures we're starting with. Also, adult immunization status. So we realized, I think, particularly over the COVID-19 pandemic, just how important immunization is for a whole host of infectious diseases. And so this measure looks at a whole host of infectious diseases and, and immunization against them. There's also a chronic conditions category. And so controlling high blood pressure, diabetes, hemoglobin, A1C control, and these in particular are responsible for so much of the cardiovascular and neurovascular mortality and morbidity across the country. Um, controlling high blood pressure and controlling diabetes effectively can just do so much in preventing unwanted strokes and heart attacks. Also, as alluded to earlier, the behavioral health category. So we have both screening for depression and follow-up, and also initiation engagement of substance use disorder treatment. Particularly during the pandemic, behavioral health conditions have really spiked. And we've seen that with depression and anxiety. We've also seen it with substance use disorder and overdoses. And incorporating these measures, we think, is really important to a holistic approach to care, not just physical health conditions, but behavioral health as well. We're also including measures for seamless care coordination measured by readmissions. We're also including in the person-centered care category, patient-reported experience measures measured by the Consumer Assessment of Healthcare Providers and Systems, which is abbreviated CAPS, if you've heard of the CAPS survey before. And in the equity category, we have screening for social drivers of health. This is a measure that was recently put into place at a hospital level in the hospital inpatient quality reporting system. And it, the measure looks at the percentage of individuals who are screened for social needs. As we're approaching this holistic, we're trying to move towards this holistic approach to care, not just physical health, behavioral health, but also social determinants of health. And as we think about screening for more people for these social needs, eventually where CMS wants to get to is are individuals receiving that follow-up care to address that social need, whether it's food, housing, transportation. I know that was a mouthful. That was the adult set. I can move on to the pediatric set. If that'd be good. Okay, great. Uh, so in the pediatric set, we also have the wellness and prevention category. This includes well-child visits, immunization, weight assessment and counseling for nutrition and physical activity, and oral evaluation for dental services. All of these are just really important part of pediatric care. And dental services are there in particular because the programs across the country have various amounts of dental services. And it's, it's important to include that in the pediatric space. In, in Medicare, I think a lot has been written about in the past several years. There isn't adult dental benefit, so it was a little bit less relevant there for that reason. Uh, in the chronic condition space for children, asthma is obviously crucially important. And so the measure that we have looks at the appropriate medication management of asthma in particular. And then there's several behavioral health measures. I think a lot is, in addition to behavioral health in adults, there's so many important behavioral health conditions in children that have also spiked during the pandemic. And so we have included screening for depression and follow-up, follow-up after hospitalization for mental illness, follow-up after an emergency department for substance use, use of first-line psychosocial care for children and adolescents on antipsychotic medications, and then follow-up care for children prescribed medication for attention deficit hyperactivity disorder or ADHD. Um, and then lastly, we have the same patient experience measure that, that uses the consumer assessment of healthcare providers and systems, abbreviated CAPS, to really make sure that we're getting patient experience throughout, throughout one's life course, both children and adults. So you'll notice that we've really tried to stay consistent with the framework of meaningful measures. So meaningful measures 2.0 has eight domains, patient safety, person-centered care, seamless communications, chronic conditions, 
efficiency and affordability, wellness and prevention, behavioral health and equity. So we've captured most of those domains, but you can see, and we identified in our paper, that there are still some gaps here, especially in the ambulatory side. So we are looking for, for example, a holistic well-being measure. Some people have trialed Cantrell's ladder in the past, you know, on a scale of one to 10, how, how, you know, what is your outlook on how you think your health and well-being is? So I want to start by saying I really appreciate CMS's work on this. The government can get a bad rap for being slow or sclerotic, but when it comes to quality measurement, the government, CMS in particular, has really been on the vanguard, much more nimble and responsive than anyone else in this space. So really appreciate that. There are a couple points I, w- I wanted to push on, two in particular, and, and we'll, we'll do them one at a time. I felt like with this list, you came so close to having a list that was truly evidence-based, truly outcomes-based, and then for a couple areas sort of pulled back on, on the pressure of the moment. The first one, the behavioral health and substance abuse measures. As I'm sure you both know, the substance abuse and behavioral health system, if we can even call it that, is, is fragmented and under-resourced. And there can be a tendency for payers where the system is not working to just make a quality measure and hope the providers will fix it. And behavioral health is such an under-resourced aspect of care. It pays much less well. There's a huge shortage of providers. And it doesn't seem right to put a quality measure on physicians and other providers to get dinged for the inadequacy rather than just paying more and making the overall system better. What are your thoughts on that? So I think... This, is, this shouldn't be looked at just in the quality space. It should really be looked at across the entirety of what CMS does and operates. And we're simultaneously making a very concerted push to expand access to behavioral health. And inclusive, included in that is, for example, new policies that we finalized in the last couple of years, um, making it easier for clinical psychologists and licensed clinical service workers to bill for the work they do as part of primary care, which can be especially important in the interface with a lot of these measures but also changing supervision requirements such that when behavioral health services are being provided, that there doesn't need to be a, a clinician, like a, a doctor or a non-physician practitioner on site to look over the shoulder of a marriage and family therapist or, or a licensed professional counselor when they're doing their work. And we've also made permanent uh, in behavioral health any kind of telehealth service that's provided so that even after the public health emergency is up, these, these telehealth services that are addressing behavioral health needs can exist in perpetuity. And that, that can exist across even distance barriers as well. There's are providing their services through, through telehealth. And so I think if we were looking at these quality measures just in the absence of everything else, you, you'd be right in that it, it doesn't probably make sense just to focus on the quality measures, but in the totality of what we're doing in the behavioral health space, I think that we're, we're really trying to do everything we can to expand access to behavioral health and address those barriers. I would Thanks, say man. that this is also an issue that's under a continued development. Behavioral health is so important, though, that we felt it was really necessary to ensure that there were measures of behavioral health. But I will say across the various agencies of HHS, there's a collaborative effort ongoing to look at what are perhaps best behavioral health measures, including the development of measures around behavioral health integration. Because to your point, making sure that there is a system for behavioral health and the providers are talking to each other and making sure that behavioral health and physical health are linked together always is something that's very important. 
but those measures don't exist yet. Thank you. Great thoughtful responses. My second question was around the social determinants of health screening measure, where these are critical issues. They're, they're important to, to me. I'm a psychiatrist. They're important to validate the company at which Brian and I work. But should we be screening for things that can't consistently be addressed? We don't always have the best safety net in this country. And sometimes providers will be asking these questions and not being able to do anything about it. And is that kind to the patients? Is that a good use of, of clinicians' time? I'll start with that one. First, I would say if we don't ask, we don't know, right? What we have seen by putting forward these measures of social drivers of health is that more and more providers and settings are asking these questions of patients and learning about really important determinants that, that speak to how a patient or any individual can deal with health issues. You know, if you don't have utilities and your refrigerator is not working and yet you're given a prescription for insulin that has to be refrigerated, that impacts how you can actually manage your diabetes. And so we think that even though these are early on types of measures, although they have a fair amount of experience, the CMMI models, I must say, but they're still relatively early on, that it's so important to be looking at these areas and start having these conversations, recognizing that this will change over time. As people start asking, the next step is, well, what can I do? And what we have found is that there are a lot of community connections to be had out there. And sometimes it's just identifying where those community resources are, making those connections. You know, we don't expect clinicians to be building housing for individuals, but it's not unreasonable to think that within a community, communities can organize their resources and make clear what is available. You know, more and more, even in electronic medical records, there are lists of community resources that are available and being able to link those is really important because we can't truly care for patients holistically if we don't understand some of these social drivers of health. And, and just to build off of that too, um, just to emphasize that where we are going is really not just the screening, but we want to see folks that ha can have their needs addressed. and, and um, and the community-based organizations that are oftentimes addressing these needs, there hasn't been the historical connections between the social services world and the healthcare world. And by instituting these, these measures where we're really trying to get the healthcare system to go is to bridge those divides and to have healthcare providers work more closely um, with their local community-based organizations. And so it's, it's for that reason also that one of the, uh, for example, in the hospital, there's a hospital commitment to equity measure, which, which we talked about connections with local community-based resources. There, there's requirements already that, that hospitals have to provide a community benefit. They have to do community health needs assessments. And so um, that is a, has existed historically. And we think building off of, of those and really emphasizing the importance of these connections with local community-based organizations over time, we can get the healthcare system to provide this more, uh, th this idea of whole person care, not just physical health, not just behavioral health, but also the social determinants of health in collaboration with the community resources that exist. Dr. Schreiber, look, talking about where we want to go, I know one of the goals, both on the government side and on the provider side and on many of the actors in the system is trying to move towards a healthcare system that's focused on equity and improving equity. 
And that is one of the key domains in the list of measures, Doug, that you read off. I was just wondering, I saw in the paper that there's kind of a dual approach to this. One, there is that specific domain of equity, but there's also a commitment to measure equity throughout all of the measures. I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about the role that equity plays in these measures and how you all are looking at equity. Sure, happy to. First, I I do want to note that this concept of universal foundation fits in with the CMS National Quality Strategy, which includes what we're really trying to drive here is better outcomes for all individuals, right? And all individuals means equity as well. Within the measures, we're not just looking at measures about equity, for example, the social drivers of health, but how we use measures to identify potential disparities. To that end, CMS has started stratifying some of its measures, and we've recently provided confidential feedback reports, for example, hospitals that stratified readmissions data, not only for dual eligibility, but also for race and ethnicity, so that organizations can see how they're doing. We have a commitment in each of our programs, these 20-plus value-based programs, to have an equity component in each of these programs. And that includes either direct measurements of equity or stratification of at least one or some of the most important measures within that category that are associated with disparities and to be providing confidential feedback reports. And then over time, probably public reporting and tying it to payment and performance as well. But we recognize that we need the data first to be doing that. Just building off of what Michelle was saying, we've also in in two programs, the Medicare Shared Savings Program, which is the largest value-based care program in the country with, the, with accountable care, and also the the Advantage Heart C and D star ratings. We've advanced this idea of rewarding excellent care delivered to underserved populations, and this gets at the, at the idea: how do we combine our quality measurement system and also our payment system, and because um, in the absence of trying to promote equity within our quality system, you can envision that providers that are treating more underserved patients, they perform more on the quality measures, in turn get penalized by those same quality measurement systems, and in turn has less resources to provide care to those underserved populations. And so we're trying to turn that on, on its head a little bit by through, through the strategy of rewarding excellent care delivered to underserved populations. So. The idea here is that for providers or plans that are taking care of a disproportionate amount of the underserved populations, they would be eligible for an upside-only reward if they provide high-quality care to those folks. And the reason for that in particular avoids some of the pitfalls of other pay-for-equity type approaches. We're not risk-adjusting away the existence of disparities. We're not setting lower standards for taking care of underserved populations. We are rewarding excellent care delivered to underserved populations, giving those incentives to those plans and providers that are taking care of those populations. And so we wanted to just mention that as a something that we're thinking about across our programs as a as an important strategy to promote equity as well. That's wonderful to hear. Dr. Jacobs and Dr. Schreiber from CMS, thank you so much for all of your work to improve the quality of our quality measurement and for taking the time to join us on the ACO Show. This episode was produced by Leanne Horst, Alana Coogan, and Stuart Taylor. 
You can find more episodes of The ACO Show wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening and join us next time.